Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. back from men's retreat. For those of you that did not know, there is a men's retreat going on uh, over in Malibu Canyon. I think they're wrapping up about this time. And so uh, I've, uh, I've been uh, kind of around the city this morning. I think uh, in the world, in the culture, some things are broken. And I think we would like to fix them. And we all have ideas about how to do that. What would it take? What would really create change in the world? What would really make a difference? And, and I think that question and issue is not just about the world, it's about us. How do I change? How do I grow? How do I improve? How do I mature? How do I stop doing things that I don't think I ought to be doing? Stop having attitudes I don't think I ought to have? Stop having the racing thoughts that I don't want? How do I how do I change me? Because that's a, it seems more under my control to change me, but my track record's not great. Amen? There's some chronic things that run around in there. And yet the writers of the New Testament believe somehow that we are a transformational community. That, that deep, genuine change is a part of the nature of our relationship with God. That in fact, we're not pretending some things. We didn't sign up for a program in which we have chosen to participate. We, we are actually being changed from the inside out. The things we used to want, we don't want anymore. The, the things that we used to think were okay, we don't think are okay anymore. The way we want to love people, we actually love them. We, we're not just trying to love them. We actually do like them. Okay, we love them. We don't like them yet, but we're working on it. And so we're, we're a part of a, of a community of transformation. And that's the vision. And that vision is rooted in a, a pretty simple idea. And that is that with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, with the death of and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, the end of the story was written in the middle of the story. So the outcome is known. We're just living into it. The victory is done. The, 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 you know, all of the overcoming of all the things that are broken, death and sorrow and sickness and sadness and all of that's overcome in the moment of the resurrection. But we're, we're not quite living it out yet. It hasn't all happened. Paul says, you got to think of it like this. You know, there's a, there's a pregnant woman and she's going to have a baby. But right now, you're just in labor. You live in labor all the time, every day, until finally the birth of the kingdom in its fullness. I think that's an image that helps us. And the question then is, do we live like people who understand the outcome and are living into the fullness of that. We're not there yet. We acknowledge the pain. We understand, but we understand where it's headed. We understand the trajectory. Ultimately, 
He's making all things new. There's a redemptive story ahead of us. And we live like that. We have hope like that. We have attitudes like that. It spills out of us. We are incredibly optimistic because we believe in this kingdom. In fact, we live as alien and strangers in this world. We have our citizenship in another place. And that lifts us and helps us. Helps us in our inner world. It helps us in our relational world. But it helps us in the world to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And if we forget these things, we have a tendency to blend in with everyone else in the culture. Amen? What makes us distinct? Hope. What makes us distinct? The knowledge of the kingdom. What makes us distinct? We're citizens of another kingdom. We have a different set of priorities. We have a different set of values. We have a different understanding of what's happening in the world. We, we don't get all caught up in the politics of this world. In an election year, we don't get caught up in the politics of this world. We do our best. To, we don't get, let me back up. I don't want to move too quickly. We don't stake our sense of well-being and the well-being of the world on the politics of this nation. Amen. We base it on the kingdom of God and the power of God and the will of God. And we don't know how it all works, but we believe the end of the story has been written and we're just living our way into it. And we do that with a kind of humility. Not sure we should be the angry people in the story. Amen? So the... There's a parable that I think matters that might have some significance to you. I believe it's attributed to Kierkegaard, who talks about culture and talks about how the culture likes to do things and how they think sometimes. Once upon a time, the animals decided they should do something meaningful to meet the problems of the new world. Everybody got it? The animals are getting together to meet the problems of the new world. So they organized a school. They adopted an activity curriculum of running, climbing, swimming, and flying. To make it easier to administer the curriculum, all of the animals took all of the subjects. The duck was excellent in swimming. In fact, he was better than his instructor. But he made only passing grades in flying, and he was very poor in running. Since he was slow in running, he had to drop swimming and stay after school to practice running. This caused his webbed feet to be badly worn so that he was only average in swimming. But average was quite acceptable, so nobody worried about this at all except the duck. The rabbit started at the top of his class in running, but developed a nervous twitch in his leg muscles because of so much makeup work in swimming. The squirrel was excellent in climbing, but he encountered constant frustration in flying class because his teacher made him start from the ground up instead of from the treetops down. He developed charley horses from overexertion. He ended up only getting a C in climbing and only a D in running. The eagle was a problem child and was severely disciplined for being a nonconformist. In climbing classes, he beat all of the others to the top of the tree but insisted on using his own way to get there. Now, the parable was written to illustrate something important. 
there is sort of an understanding value that everybody ought to share the same sort of gifts and understanding that we ought to blend in with each other, that nobody should stand out too much. Everybody should kind of just, you know, just fit in, just fit in. But in the kingdom of God, you and I are called not to just fit in. In fact, we're called to be distinctly different. Not weird for the sake of weirdness. Okay, I'm freshly back from men's retreat, which means I am somewhat tired. Now, you I don't know about, but I could use a little, you know, audience participation along the way. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, so... We're not supposed to be weird for the sake of weirdness. I mean, the church has been weird enough in its course of history. Amen? But we're supposed to be strangers to the culture. That, that the culture is able to say and see that we don't just blend in. That something's unique. That we live with a different kind of hope and a different kind of optimism. We're living into the fulfillment of the end of the story that we know was written at the moment of the resurrection of Jesus. And so we don't wander around and we, we don't think the same way. We, we're not caught up in all of that. This is a community of transformation where people really change, where, where things really get better, where hearts and minds and spirits and relationships are actually healed, where things inside of us actually get mended. Where we don't have to live in shame and guilt and self-loathing. Where we're free to be redeemed. Not because we're good people, but because God's gracious. And we carry this hope around in us. And it actually spills out into our emotions. What does Jesus say? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden. You're going to stand out. You're going to be strange. But you don't have to be weird. You can just be... Strange in a good way. So Paul writes the letter to the church at Ephesus. And in it he's saying to them, I, I want you to live into this possibility. I want you to live into what it means to be this community of transformation. I, I want you to experience it. So he, he writes this really kind of long section. And I'm going to read it to you in just a minute. And then I'm going to tell you this now so you won't be depressed later. And that is there are eight points to the sermon. Now, they're short, but this morning when I got over to Pasadena, I, I walked in and the media guy said, uh, just looking at this, you really have eight points? This is encouraging. And I said, yeah. And he said, should we start the countdown clock early and start the service early? I said, what are you saying? He said, it seems like it's going to be really long. And I said, no, it's, it's not. And here I am. So clearly it's not very long. So we made it. Ephesians 4.17 So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live like the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that's in Jesus. You were taught with the, regard to the formal way of life 
to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body, and your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That's a lot. And so what he's basically saying to them is, I I want you to be a uniquely transformational community, but there's some things that go with that. There's some things to keep in your mind. There's some things to commit to. There's some things to embrace. And the first one is this. I want you to be clear and open. I want you to be clear and open. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Their darkened minds have that way because of their hardened hearts. As followers of Jesus Christ, we believe that intellect matters. That people think. They engage. They get their brains going. I I know that the popular idea is to be a person of faith, you kind of got to be dumb. But the fact of the matter is we are engaging our brains at a level that says, I don't think the same things and I don't believe the same things. And I don't believe and think this way because I just blindly have faith. I believe this because I've tried everything else and it didn't work. I came to this faith. I came to this way of living because it offered me real hope. And there's a clarity in my thinking that used to be confusion. Now, that's not to say that I have all clarity and no confusion, because we all still have a lot of confusion. Can I see the hands of the people in the room that have confusion? Good. I want to see the rest of you later. (laughs) And here's the thing. That you know you're confused is very important. Because sometimes people forget they're confused and they start acting like they can answer any question at any time to any degree of accuracy. Amen? Christians are bad about this. You got a question? Let me give you the answer. When in reality, Paul says, I I want you to get some clarity in your understanding of what you know and what you don't know. What is the darkened thinking of the Gentiles? They know the answers. They've created a dogma around their lifestyle. You want to make somebody mad? You challenge their lifestyle and get them upset. Paul says, that's not what we do. That's what the Gentile, you used to do that, but you don't do that anymore. Now there's an understanding in your mind of a clarity that says, I don't know everything and I'm open to what God is teaching me. I don't get my heart all hardened up based on something I heard a long time ago or based on something I, somebody told me or based on something that makes me feel better. I keep my head clear and my heart open so that I do the one thing I'm called to do. I follow him. I'm not the answer person. I don't have all, I don't try to tell my generational children 
how the world works because, frankly, their world doesn't work the same way as mine. And I just seem silly when I act like I know the answers. Amen? Amen. Some of you are like, yeah, you seem silly every Sunday. We've noticed that about you. We're clear and we're open. Number two, we're unselfish and disciplined. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality, so indulged in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. Paul's not saying, this is not an us and them. This is not the Gentiles act this way, but we don't act this way. This is uh, then and now. This is how we used to be, but now we don't live like that anymore. We used to live in a selfish way. We used to go, what do I want? How do I feel? What do I need? And we lived in that space where that was really our daily life. Am I okay? Do I feel okay? Do I have what I want? Do I have what I need? How am I feeling? What am I thinking about? Well, you know what I want? I want a Twinkie. No, I don't want a Twinkie. I want a cupcake. No, I think I think. I should exercise. No, I don't want to do it. What do I want? And greed. He throws these two, sensuality and greed. Seem to be the default setting of human beings, right? We do the sensuality and the greed, the sensuality and the greed, then the greed and the sensuality. And sensuality is not specifically sexual. It can be that I just indulge the hungers. What do you want to do today? You know, something that makes me feel good. And he says, I want you to live in a way that is unselfish. I want you to stop asking that question all the time because there's something greater to live for than simply what you want. Does what you want matter? What you need matter? Yes. But it's not all of life. And what percentage of our time? That's what makes us aliens and strangers in the culture is because we've said, I don't think I should spend 95% of my time asking myself what I want. I think there should be something more. I think I'm a part of a community of transformation that is the hope of the world, that is the hope of the culture. And I want to live into that. I want to live into an outcome. I don't just want to live my life to perpetuate my own existence. I want to wake up in the morning and go, no, no. I'm a part of the light of the world and I need to get my head up and I need to think in ways that are unselfish and I need to practice some disciplines in the course of my life. And I need to practice discipline because it shows how pious I am and it means God likes me better when I'm disciplined. No, I practice discipline because I found out I need discipline. Because my life is better, my family does better, the world does better when I am disciplined and I channel my energies into things that are constructive instead of destructive. We're unselfish and disciplined. Number three, we surrender and embrace. That, however, is not the way of life you learn when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self and to put on the new attitudes in your mind. We are folks who are constantly in this place where we're kind of churning place and we go, you know what, there's some things I need to stop doing. You know, God's telling me to take this off. This doesn't fit, it's not the right thing, I shouldn't do this. And, and what a healthy thing to be engaged in, in life, amen? This sermon can be longer. <laughs> like for most of us, If we were really honest, we would say, on a daily basis, I see attitudes that I know are not okay. Now, I keep them tucked in because I'm smart enough to know that that is not an image I want to, you know, project. But remember, the kingdom of God is not about acting like something. It's about being something. I'm not acting like I have a good attitude. I'm allowing God to transform me from the inside out so that I actually have a revolutionary, I actually have a good attitude. 
I'm not just pretending to have one because I, I think I look better. I actually have a different attitude. I see things differently in the world. I, I experience things differently in the world. And that's a process. And in that process, there are things I have to surrender and there are things I have to embrace. Well, that's a sensitivity thing. God, help. That's, that's why it's so important that daily connection to God happens somehow. Devotions, reading the word. God, help me today. I want to be sensitive to your voice. Because there's a thousand subtle things going on inside of me. And you'll remind me. If I'm listening, you'll say, you know, Dave, what you said to that person at the four-way stop. <laughs> might want to let go of that. might want to let go of that. Because underneath it, there's an attitude. You said some stuff, and then if you just analyze it, what you think is that people at four-way stops are dumb. And I'm not sure that's an attitude you should carry around with you. Because it turns out it keeps showing up. So maybe you want to surrender to that. Amen? Amen. And that somehow in this process, we surrender some things, but we also embrace some. I'm going to speak kindly. I'm going to look up. I'm going to look in the eyes of people. I'm going to smile. I'm, God is prompting me to surrender some things and embrace some things. And this is a dance we do all the time. And we do it because I'm open and clear. I know I don't have all the answers. I know I haven't arrived. But, but God's teaching me and growing me and changing me. Number four, we understand and seek righteousness and holiness. Everybody doing okay? This is four. We're almost halfway. Woohoo! Scary words, righteousness and holiness. This is how he speaks it. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I mentioned last week that the older I get, the more uh, obsessive, compulsive I become. Is anybody else experiencing that? I thought when I got older I would care less. You understand what I'm saying? I thought I'd be like, I don't care. But that's not what's happening. Instead, I find myself annoyed by things that aren't right. They're not right, you know. I won't even tell you the depth of it because it would <laughs> just think it's not right, you know. And so um, I think that when we talk about righteousness, what the scripture is speaking of is this ingrained deep need for, the, for things to be Right. Not the unhealthy OCD kind, but the healthy kind that says, I, I want the world to be just. I want it to be fair. I, I want people to love each other. I, I, want, I want systems to work right. Amen? Amen? I keep hoping. You know, maybe the next system is going gonna, gonna to be better for people. It's going to help people better. It's going to be more. There aren't very many things in life that, that really work right, are there? The older I get, the more I believe this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the hope of getting things right. When you read this story and you're like, you know, what if everyone on the planet became unselfish and they served one another and they got rid of greed and selfishness? And, and what if they really stood for justice and love? What if there really was grace, but there was also truth? What if we actually not only loved and cared about people, but we helped them get better in their journey and in their life because some things work better than other things. Amen. What if there was a spirit in us that said, I'm going to let go of some things and embrace some things. I'm going to help other people let go of some things and embrace some things. We're all works in progress, but we're progressing. And the more I live and the longer I live, I believe the hope of the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it's what works. 
It's practical. It's righteous. And that's what we're looking for. That's what we're asking for. There is a righteousness in our relationships as we relate to one another. We don't just say anything and do anything and act in any way. We, we treat each other with righteousness. There's a rightness. Every great human concept, every noble instinct in us is a source of divine input. And we live into that. I want it to be right. Right. Good. And I want it to be holy. That's a scary one. There's a verse in the Old Testament that says, I want you to be holy as I am holy. Well, we're out. I mean, we're, that ain't going to happen. You know, and, and, you know I, I analyzed that verse one time. It's like, you know, the Hebrew's got to be telling us a secret. You know, no? Be the Kadesh or the Kadash. That's what it says. It's the same root word. You be holy as God is holy. Well, if that means perfection, then, then we're out of luck. But the word has another meaning. And that meaning is I want you to hold virtue in balance. I don't want you to overthrow mercy for justice. And I don't want you to overthrow justice for mercy. I want you to hold these two things. I want you to live in the messy middle of the virtues of life. And I want you to be holy like that. Because that's how God is holy. He holds this in perfect balance. And we strive for it. Are we going to hold it in perfect balance like God? No, but that's the goal. That's the goal. That's where we're going. That's what we're hoping for. Number five, we're committed to change. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbor. Don't, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer. <laughs> what a weird sentence in the middle of this thing. I mean, to me, you know, it feels like up to this moment, we're, we're graduate level maturity. I mean, we're like, come on, people. We're putting off old stuff and new stuff. And then right in the middle he says, oh, and by the way, if you're stealing. Because <laughs> don't you think people would look around and go, what? Somebody's still stealing? I thought we gave up stealing a lot. I didn't know we were still stealing. I thought that was done. I thought we had matured past that. But clearly there's a reason in this moment to go, you know what? Just when you think you're getting all mature, you just pick up a little something, something and take it with you. And you ought not do that. I think it's Paul's way of saying to them, temper this stuff. I mean, sometimes you're getting on the fine tuning and you're forgetting that there's some big things you probably ought to, you know, surrender. And some big things you ought to embrace. That we are committed to change. How many things in your... I, I, I think this is fascinating to me. You know, when I scan social media... How many ads come up that promise they're going to make me different? Amen? Amen? I mean, if you take this gummy and eat it every day, you, in fact, you'll have to stop after a couple of weeks because you'll be so skinny, you won't even be able to function. And you know what? I'm like, at my work. <laughs> I mean, look how happy these people are. And, you know, it was on Shark Tank, so it's got to be legit. Just me? I mean, and there's all kinds of stuff in there. There's all kinds of ideas. There's products you can buy to wipe on your face, and you will be years younger. Amen? Amen. And there's a part of me that goes, I, I think it might work. Look, there's a before and after right there. It's on the Internet. It's got to be true. <laughs> Where do you find real change? We're so, we're so, you know, 
desiring change that we'll believe almost anything. But the scripture says, I'm here to make real change. The power of the Holy Spirit at work in you, that day by day, moment by moment, attitude by attitude, word by word, I'm going to grow you into an ever-increasing image of the divine God of the universe. Real change. This is a community of transformation. You really can grow up, get deeper, embrace reality. You really, you really can. It's a community of change, and we're committed to it. Number six, we have a different person, a different purpose in speaking. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Only what is suitable for the building up of others that may edify those who listen. That's a, that's a lot. That's a lot. I don't know if uh, you're keeping up, but there was a big football game last week. Everybody know that? Uh, 32 teams spent millions and millions and millions of dollars and hours and hours and hours to get to that game. Only two teams made it. You with me? They played four quarters of football, and at the end of four quarters, the score was tied 19-19. This seems like two teams that have done pretty well and are fairly evenly matched. And the subsequent overtime, one team won and one team lost. Is it shocking to you that the stupidest coach in the history of the NFL was the coach on the losing team? Amen? Have you read the articles this week? Why? Because that's our culture. That's our culture. We tear things down better than anyone else in the universe. And if you want a shortcut to sounding intelligence, criticize somebody. You don't have to know anything. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to read a book. You don't have to know one thing. You don't have to have any skin in the game. Just criticize, 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 criticize. In fact, if you'd like to be on TV, (laughs) hone the skill of tearing things down and you can have your own show on television where all you do is tear things down. We ought not be those people. We ought to be strangers in this country. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Only what is suitable for the building up of others. Now listen to this. That it may edify those who listen. That means who gets to decide if it was edifying? It's a comedian that says, I learned early in my marriage not to get into this argument. You said blah, blah, blah. No, I didn't. I said blah, blah, blah. No, you didn't. You said blah, blah, blah. I learned early this was a fruitless conversation. I learned to ask this question. When I'm talking and my wife gets a look on her face, I say, what did you hear me say? Because that's the only thing that matters. I think that's what he's talking about. He's saying that that's how we treat each other. Not what did I think I said and not what did I mean to say, but what did you hear me say? Because I want to be sure that it edifies those who listen. And the only one that can tell me if it's edifying is the one who's listening. And we ought not be people who traffic in 
the negativity and the criticism and the analysis. We ought not feel depleted because we've been in a conversation with someone. We ought to leave people better than we find them. We ought to build up, not tear down. It doesn't mean we can't speak truth. It doesn't mean we can't have meaningful conversation. It doesn't mean we can't deal with reality. He just covered the fact. Tell, tell us, speak the truth to your neighbors. But stop being angry. And we ought to speak words that are edifying because it matters to us. Number seven, we feel accountable to God. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, he says. We're not the top of the food chain. Amen. The Jews wear a yarmulke on their head to remind them there's someone over me to whom I'm accountable. Every day, all the time, every conversation, every attitude, every spirit, every, everything that goes on in my thought process, right up here, I'm accountable to God. We're all accountable to God. We're heading in the same way. We look at each other and say, God, search me. Know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I'm in this constant process of being accountable to God, and that creates change and transformation. And then finally, number eight, we believe in transformation. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of ballast. Be kind and compassionate, forgiving each other just as God in Christ forgave you. We believe that you can grow up. Amen. Amen. We live in a culture today that has decided that if you ever made a mistake at any point in your life and it comes to light, we will cancel you. Because the evangelists of the new culture... Uh, you know, that, it is a very unforgiving sort of mentality. And listen, let's be honest. What that assumes is that all those people who are condemning never had anything where they made a mistake. And we all know that's not true, don't we? And so over here on this side of things, while we've not always represented it well, we can confess to each other. For all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, all of us have stuff we're working on. All of us are works in progress, but we do believe in change. We do believe in transformation. We believe in growth and forgiveness and redemption, and you can get better and you can leave your past behind and, and, and the old can be gone and you can be a new creation. And, and how much good news is this? I don't have to be weighed down by my past, by my story, by my brokenness, by my ignorance, by my upbringing. I'm free because of what Christ has done, because of the way that God forgave me through Christ, I can move into this place of being this person, this kingdom citizen walking around in this culture, a stranger and an alien, representing the, the hope of transformation. I think it is our call to be those people. It is our call to live into this relationship with God and into this maturity as individuals. Can you imagine the joy of living this out? It's our calling. It's who we are not only invited to be, but commanded to be. Let's pray. God, as we think about transformation and we think about change, we recognize that the first moment of transformation is when you change us individually. When we are able to come to you with our brokenness, with the messiness of our own stories, with our sinfulness, and we're able to confess them to you and say, you know, God, I, I'm, not, I'm not who you want me to be. I know it. 
I know there's some things I need to surrender. I know there's some things I need to embrace. I, I need to be clear and open. I need to have my head in the right place and my heart in the right place. And, and my prayer this morning is that we would just begin in a diligent way to do that work or to re-engage that work or to focus more on that work. We want to be a community of transformation. We want it to start right inside of each of our... We don't want to act like we're Christ-like. We want to be Christ-like. We don't want to act like we are curious and care about others. We want to be changed from the inside out so that we do care, so that we are curious. We don't want to act like we have compassion. We want to be filled with compassion. So would you begin to do that work in us? And as you transform us from the inside out, will you make us conscious that our life is not just about us? Help us to be the people that you have called and invited us to be in the network of our families. Help us to be the people you've called us to be in the network of our church family, in the network of this community, in the network of the politics of our culture and world. Help us not to get sidetracked. We're, we're holding out for righteousness and holiness. We're, we're implementing and believing into this kingdom that is already the end is in the middle and we're waiting for the fulfillment. Let us live in that optimism. As we close, would you do your work inside each of our hearts? I pray that each person here in the overflow online who will watch throughout the week, would you give each of us a moment in which your Holy Spirit speaks very specific guidance to our hearts and our minds. May it be so, we pray. May your will be done on earth and in this place as it is in heaven. We ask it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen. amen. Will you stand as we respond to the word? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.